Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. This is a week three of our annual Sabbath sermon series. It's quickly, quickly flying by. And uh, let me review really quick and just make sure everybody's on the same page here. The first week, I told you that we like to look busy. We do. We just like to look busy. We think that people are impressed with how busy that we look. Uh, We must be careful to invest what time that God has given us in the right things. That first week, we took a good look at Matthew chapter 11. And it's one of my favorite verses where Jesus invited all of us when he said this in verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's an invite to everybody in this room. Come to me, all of you who are weary, all that are burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. And so that invite is out there for all of us. Uh, And then week two, last week, we realized that Sabbath is designed for us. Many people throughout the years have tried to make Sabbath something else, full of rules and full of regulations, and, and that's not what Sabbath is meant to be. Though Sabbath is a commandment, it's not a suggestion, it is one of the Ten Commandments. It is a commandment for your life. It's meant to be a blessing and not a burden. And if we're not careful, we will make Sabbath a have to and not a get to. And Sabbath needs to be a get to in our lives. And so Sabbath was created for you. That was the thought last week. A Sabbath was created for you. And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus reminds us of this when he said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus reminds us, the Sabbath was made for you. It's made to restore your life. The spirit of Sabbath brought about peace, not prohibition. It wasn't about what all you couldn't do. It was what you you got to do. You got to say, man, I get to just lay all this at the foot of the cross and just enjoy the presence of the Lord one day a week. That's what I get to do. And so in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, it said, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I told you, you want what God has blessed. That's what you want for your life. You don't want what is cursed. You want what is blessed. And if God is blessed this one day a week, if that's what he's done, then we want to jump into that. Man, we just want to be head over heels involved with the Sabbath if that's what God has blessed. And when applied to our lives, Sabbath has the ability to rebuild our faith. It has the ability to restore our relationships. And Sabbath can resurrect our tired and weary bodies and our tired and weary minds if we will allow it to. One Sunday morning, a pastor noticed that little Alex was staring up at this large plaque that hung in the foyer of the church. The plaque was covered with names and there were these small American flags on each side of it. And the top of the plaque read, rest in peace. The seven-year-old had been staring at the plaque for some time. So the pastor walked up to him and stood beside him and he said quietly, good morning, Alex. Alex said, good morning, pastor. And still focused on the plaque, the boy said, pastor, what is this? The pastor replied, well, son, it's a memorial to all the men and women who have died in the service. Very soberly, they both stood there together, staring at the large plaque. And the young boy's voice was barely audible when he finally managed to ask, which service, pastor, the nine o'clock or the 1030? (laughs) I promise you, that I've worked hard and prayed hard about this sermon series. Because I don't want to bore you to death with another sermon about Sabbath. Because every July, 
I get on the stage and I teach you Sabbath every year. And, and trust me, I, I don't regret that at all because it's something we need to be reminded about. Not the legalistic side of Sabbath. That's not what this is about. This is about the opportunity that we have to commune with our God and to trust in Him and to work on our relationships with our family and our close friends. That's what Sabbath is about. It's about taking a break from everything else and focusing on what really matters. And so I've really prayed hard. I've prayed, God, I don't want to just present another sermon about Sabbath that's going to bore everybody. Here's what I figured out. It takes no discipline or effort to fall into something. None at all. You, you just fall into it. But it takes a lot of discipline and effort to crawl out of something. And for some of us, we must work at not working. And it's a job for us right now because we are so focused on working all the time. Our minds are always racing and, and, and we never disconnect. We bring home, uh, we bring work home with us and, and we never have the opportunity to unplug. And, and, and we've got to work at not working. And we've fallen into this trap of see, seeking success and, and now we must put forth an effort to crawl out of it. And today is just another step in that journey. Just one more crawl out of that pit that we have, we, we've dug ourselves and put ourselves in. Uh, it's just one more crawl out of that and, and we're going to a life of freedom. That's where we're heading. And so I want you to receive this today as another step in that journey as we reprogram how our minds think. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. If you will, hold your Bibles open for this entire message at Mark chapter 6 because I'm going to come back and read a few verses here and there. And so just leave your Bible open if you will. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 7. And he called the twelve, he being Jesus, twelve being his disciples, and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And this is good stuff right here. What you just read, this is a success story. Because these men are doing ministry. For some time, they've watched Jesus do these things. They've watched Jesus walk up and heal people. They've watched Jesus uh, tell people to repent. They've watched Jesus drive out evil spirits out of people. They have witnessed this, and now it is put in their hands, and they're actually able to do it. They're actually able to, to do what they've been trained to do. They are fulfilling their occupational calling as disciples of a rabbi. Jesus has taught them everything that they know, and now he has released them to do what he has prepared them to do. And when God prepares you, he will always bring about success. I know this firsthand in my life because I know the moments and the seasons that God has used in my life to prepare me for the ministry that he has me in now. And there's no doubt that there are things that I go through this year that will prepare me for the next season of ministry in my life. I know that. That's how God has always worked in my life. Now, here's the problem is that we view success differently than God views success. 
And, and so we want it to look a certain way, but God says, no, I'm preparing you for success. And when God prepares you, you will experience success the way the kingdom views success. They delivered people from demonic forces. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking up and commanding evil spirits to leave somebody? They laid hands on the sick and people were healed. Can you imagine the feeling of fulfillment that they must have felt in that moment? They're in this particular season of ministry, this particular season of work. They are finding success. And in his name, they're doing great and mighty things. But here's what I figured out with my own life. Success creates drive. It does. Success creates drive. From the simplest of successes to the most difficult accomplishments that I've had, they all push me to do more. Whenever I have one success, it pushes me to want to be more successful. And I believe that this is part of God's plan for us. I don't have time to get into it, but man, I'm telling you, I could talk with men in this room and I can tell you why you're so miserable with your life. It's because you're not having any occupational successes and, and, and it's creating a, a, almost a, a burden for you to carry. It's creating a depression for you. And, and I'm telling you, God has designed us to be successful for every lion or bear that we face there's a giant to kill right around the corner I'm convinced that there are these small successes that prepare us for bigger challenges in life I know that I know that there's been these small things here and there that have prepared me for the bigger challenges that have been brought my way and, and that happened with that young shepherd boy named David God allowed a, a, a lion to come forth and a bear to come forth and he had to defend his sheep on these occasions, killing a lion, killing a bear, and, and, and defending these sheep. And all the while, we know that it was preparing him to face a giant by the name of Goliath. And that's what happens in our lives. But even King David, that shepherd boy that grew up to be a king, even King David reached a place in his life that he became exhausted fighting giants. Oh, he just didn't fight one giant. You see, Goliath had family members, Philistines that were large men. And he continued to fight giants. But in 2 Samuel chapter 21, the Bible tells us that David becomes weak and exhausted. You see, there was this descendant of Goliath that nearly takes David's life. And it was in that moment that someone reached out to David and gave him the suggestion that, hey, you don't need to fight right now. You are exhausted. You are tired. We cannot let the flame of Israel become extinct. You have to, to go and rest. And David realized that it was time for him to rest. And maybe it was time for somebody else to step up and fight those giants. What scares me for some successful people, and there's no doubt there's some of you in this room that I'm talking to right now. There are successful people that I know that they are motivated by success to the point to where it becomes their priority. And this is dangerous. This is a dangerous trap that the enemy has put in our paths because it becomes more important than our families. It becomes more important than our service to God. And we completely forget about the spirit of Sabbath because we no longer see that as an importance in our lives. These types of people are allowing the giants of success to dictate where they kill their time. This used to be a problem for me. I'm not going to bore you with it. You've heard me talk about it plenty of times. 
But through the rhythm of Sabbath keeping, I have been reprogrammed. I'm telling you, I have been completely reprogrammed. My life is completely different than how it used to be. I learned that success in the temporal can cause you to fail in the eternal. And that's what we have to be careful of. I, did, I was so focused on, on the temporal things that I couldn't even focus on the things that really mattered, the things that lasted for eternity. And that was my relationship with God and my relationship with others. I was so focused on success. When it comes to our own successes and promotion, we're impatient people. We are. We want it right now. We want it our way. We want it in our timing. And here's what I figured out about God is that God is not impatient. God is not impatient. God's not impatient with your life. Wherever you're at right now, no matter how much, how, how bad you feel about your life, maybe you feel unsuccessful, that doesn't worry God. Why do you think God gets worried about things like that? He's already told us that the steps of the righteous are ordered by him. He is ordering your steps, and when you learn to trust him, he will lead you and guide you with every one of those steps. God is not impatient. We are, but God doesn't have to be impatient because he has all of eternity to accomplish his purposes in our lives. And he's not going to get in a hurry with it. It's always going to be in his timing. And here's what I've realized. We are in the human race. We're not just a part of the human race. We're in the human race. Society has dictated this. We are always running around trying to win. We want the nicer car. We want the bigger house. We want to make more money. Very seldom do we ever become content anymore with where God has us in life. And we're always running through life, running the human race, trying to get more, trying to accomplish more in our lives. And I think God would say to us today, slow down, make a pit stop. Just stop. Every good race car driver knows that if you want to win Daytona, then you have to make pit stops. You need to set aside time during that race to, to refuel. You need to get new tires. You need to allow the pit crew to make some small adjustments on your car so that it stops pulling one way or the other. That's what makes a good race. But we're running through life, and we've stopped pit stops. We've stopped Shabbating. We've stopped Sabbath-keeping in our lives. And we're going through the motions trying to find success when we need to just park for a moment and say, God, make the small adjustments on me. I'm going to trust you with this and know that your hand is upon my life, guiding and directing my steps. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Listen, listen to what happens. They come back to Jesus after he sends them out. And, and, and they look at Jesus and they say, listen, master, teacher, rabbi, listen. We were out there telling people to repent for your kingdom is at hand. We were out there telling people that if you're sick in the name of Jesus, you can be healed. And master, we saw people being healed. We saw the blinded eyes open. We saw the lame walking. We saw this. We accomplished this in your name while we were gone. There were people that were possessed by demonic forces and we laid hands on them and we drove those demons out in your name. They come back and they tell Jesus all that they had done and taught. Verse 31 says, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going 
And they had no leisure even to eat. They were so busy working that some of them didn't even have time to sit down and eat. Success-driven, going after the prize, going after the goal. And after a very busy and successful season of ministry, Jesus tells his disciples, come away with me to a desolate place to rest. This goes against everything that all of the motivational speakers want to tell us. Trust me, I've said it to our staff. I know what it's like to have momentum in a church. I know that when you have momentum, you've got to ride that wave. But I can tell you this, as long as I've been the pastor of this church, I've recognized that there's still one day a week that we have to stop. You don't ride momentum on that day. You trust God that momentum's still going to be there on the next day. It's so important for us. It's so important. And during this very successful season of ministry, Jesus tells them, he says, we just need to stop. And you guys need to come away with me to this desolate place to rest. And he invites them into that rest that we talked about during week one in Matthew 11 and 28, where he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And he invites them into that rest and says, come, come, come be with me. Just forget everything else. Forget all of the success that you've had. Let's just stop for a few moments. And, and the reason why is Jesus knew what was on the horizon. He knew what was right around the next corner. Uh, in just a few short hours, these men are going to be a part of history. In just a few short hours. They're going to be with Jesus, and they're going to get to help feed over 5,000 people. Sunday school teachers will teach about this for years. The best-selling book of all time, it will be included in that book. People will read about this. And you have success in ministry right now. You have success in your occupational calling. It's working. Things are going right. But before we get to that, that next level of success, here's, here's how we're going to prepare for it. Come away with me to a desolate place and let's, let's rest. Doesn't make sense, does it? Jesus says, if we're going to get to this next level, if you're going to be a part of what's really happening if you're going to be a part of my next big thing, unplug, come away with me, and let's stop. Let's rest. And once again, just as he did in the beginning of humanity, God gives us this pattern of living, this rhythm that he calls us into. You see, we want to keep moving from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop. But we don't particularly care for the downtime in between the mountains. We don't really like those moments. They're not near as exciting. We strive to move from one success to another success. And yes, even ministry can produce a spiritual high. I know because I've been victim to it. When I was a youth pastor, I thrived off the spiritual highs of success. I did, man. That adrenaline rush was one of the greatest feelings that I ever had. And downtime to me seemed like a waste of time. And when I did have scheduled downtime, I welcomed interruptions for the sake of ministry. 
And I thought I was doing the right thing. I justified it all, and I welcomed those interruptions. And church, I'm not proud to tell you this, but I know this. You can ask my wife. In the early days of ministry, I would leave my family behind just to get to someone else's emergency. I would. You might be thinking, well, that's what a pastor does. That's what you're supposed to do. There are emergency situations that I do have to lay down everything and go. But, but the problem that I had early on is that I was making every ministry opportunity an emergency, and it wasn't. And it was a prideful thing with me because I thought they need me. In this moment, in this crisis in their life, they need me to speak words of wisdom into their life. They need me to meet with them and counsel with them. They need me in this moment. And it would even be on my days off or even during vacation times with my family. And, and I was making that a priority. But I figured out that a lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. I'm sorry, this is rough, isn't it? I shouldn't talk to you like this, but, but that's what I figured out. I figured out that someone's failed relationship today didn't just start today. She may have left today, but the trouble's been brewing for months and even years, but you failed to make that phone call to make that appointment because you've been too prideful, and I figured that out. I figured that out. I figured out that I couldn't fix it overnight that it would take weeks of counseling or a touch of God, but they did not need me to abandon my family in that moment. And then I figured out that they really didn't need me at all. They needed me to point them towards Jesus because he was the only one that was going to fix them. So what I figured out is sometimes all it takes is a simple phone call in the middle of their crisis. Maybe a text or a Facebook message. That maybe I don't have to drop everything on my Sabbath for someone else. I'm losing some of you right now because you're thinking, how could a pastor do that? Listen to verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And let me tell you what that verse says to me. Whatever crisis is going on in somebody else's life, whatever problem somebody else is facing, as soon as my time of rest is over, it's going to be there waiting on me. These people saw them leave and head out on a boat and the crowds ran around the lake and got to that desolate place before they could. Your problems, they're going to be there waiting. Somebody else's problems, they're, they're trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. I promise you it's going to be there waiting on you as soon as Sabbath is over. Verse 34 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. It's so important that you see that. He put the blessing in the hands of the disciples. The disciples were the ones that went out and fed the people. Man, this was one long food line. It had to take hours to feed 5,000 plus people. This was a long soup kitchen. But Jesus knew if these 12 men are going to be a part of this blessing, if they're going to be a part of this historical moment, then we've got to get away to a desolate place first, and they need to just rest in my presence. Man, that is the spirit of Sabbath. Just finding a time to rest in his presence, unplugging from the norm of life and saying, God, I just want rest, relaxation. I want to experience you. I want to build on these relationships that you've surrounded around me. Because Jesus knew that in order for his disciples to be effective, they must first rest. Because you can't miraculously feed 5,000 unless you first get along with God and rest. It just can't happen. Tired eyes rarely get to see a bright future. And how many times in my life did I miss out on the blessing because I was too tired to see it? How many times did I miss out on what God wanted to do with my family because I was too tired to see it? You really want to feel the weight? How many times did I miss out on what God wanted to do with a church because I was too tired to see it? Because I thought the only way that I could help is to be there in every moment of every crisis, every minute, every hour, every day. You can't be a part of the miraculous if you don't first find some alone time with just you and the master. I want to ask you this question. What is God going to do with you when you learn to rest with him? As simple as it sounds, I have this feeling that it's going to unlock the miraculous for your life if you will learn the rhythm of Sabbath in your life. So what is God going to do? What's that next great thing? What is that big thing that he's going to do with your life when you learn to rest with him? The other night I was watching TV. And I've, I've got a TV. It's one of these you know, fairly new TVs. We've had it a few years. But you know, one of these thin TVs hanging up on the wall. And I'm convinced that these new TVs, they have horrible speakers. Uh, you just, you can't get the volume out of them. So we've got a surround sound and stuff. And so when we're watching a movie or something, we'll turn on the surround sound so you can hear, you know, everything. And you can turn it up as loud as you want. 
But the other night I was watching a Batman movie on TV. And everybody knows a Batman movie has good special effects. It's got to be loud, right? In the kitchen, the dishwasher is going. Down the hallway, there's a guitar playing in somebody's bedroom. My dog is standing at the back door, sitting at the back door, barking at squirrels in the backyard. And I'm trying to turn up the TV so I can hear the Batman. I'm not lying. I get this TV, the volume, I turn it up over halfway and I still can't, can't hear it. And anything over halfway, it doesn't turn it up at all. I don't even know why it goes up any higher than halfway. They should just say it's full right then because it doesn't get any louder. And then I realized this. The problem wasn't the volume on the TV. I didn't need to turn it up anymore. The problem was there was a dishwasher going, a guitar being played, and a dog barking at squirrels. And so here's what I did. I kicked my wife, daughter, and dog out. No, I'm just kidding. Life is so loud. Life is so loud that we're missing the still small voice of God. You are so consumed with noises around you that you forgot what your master's voice sounds like. He says, my sheep will know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. The end of last month, I had forgotten what his voice sounded like. I forgot. But when I turned down the noise, suddenly I could hear him. Nobody else may be getting anything out of this month, but I'll tell you this. Your pastor is being renewed daily. I'm hearing his voice more clearly, sensing his presence. When we learn to turn down everything else and to get away with him to a desolate place and rest, you'll hear him. You're going to be a part of feeding 5,000 plus, man. You're going to be a part of something that's bigger than you are. But you've got to be willing to unplug. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.